0: This is the Be Helpful Podcast, where conversations with budding entrepreneurs prepare you for the wild journey of building a business or side hustle. All right, uh, today I get to sit down with Dr. Jeff Michaels, an optometrist based out of my home city, Richmond, Virginia. How are you doing today, Jeff?
1: Awesome, it's a, it's a great day here uh, in the River City. I love it,
0: I love it. Um, so I've got the, the pleasure of sitting down and and learning more about you, learning about what you're doing. Um, I got the great introduction from my brother, thankfully. Um, and you run Family Vision, uh, sorry, Family Vision of Richmond. Um, Family Vision Care of Richmond. Family Vision Care of Richmond. Sorry about that. Um, and it's a six doctor group. Um, and you have a staff of about 30. And and what's very interesting to me, um, I actually had another doctor on the podcast, um, also based out of Virginia, who is sharing with me how entrepreneurial (laughs) these, you know, multi uh, physician practices are, and he didn't even realize it. So I'm very curious just, you know, about your background, learning about how you run the practice. But before we really dive into that, I ask every guest. What did you want to be when you were growing up?
1: Uh, Baseball, football player, as uh, probably many people would have said. Um, And I was I I grew up in the Detroit area, so I grew up playing all the outdoor sports, football, baseball, basketball, Uh, quickly learned that my basketball skills were not that effective and migrated to baseball and football. Uh, As I like to say, uh, one of the main reasons I left Michigan was I didn't ski skate or snowmobile. So uh, there wasn't much use for me in the winter months there. So uh,
0: headed to warmer climates. Got it. Yeah, my uh, yeah, my hoop jeans ended at the ripe age (laughs) of 17 myself. So (laughs) Um, you got a couple more years past me. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. They fooled me in high school. Um, So so let's talk a little bit about um, family vision care. And you know, when we did our prep call, you mentioned that it's it's a practice that's been open for over a hundred years. So I'm curious about how it felt to kind of take over, becoming the managing physician. Like, were you afraid you to screw things up? <laughs> how did how did how did how did it feel taking over? Well, well, well. First
1: off, I was not here 100 years ago, so I I, I don't know the the total background, but. Look, this practice has been uh, in existence for a hundred years. It's gone through a couple of different uh, locations and ideations over that period of time. And I'm fortunate enough that I'm in a group practice. And so I'm never alone on an island. There's always a group of people and and there are uh, three managing partners within the practice along with myself. And so we we feed off of each other, not only in patient care, but but in business ideas. And uh, so never alone on an island and then as most uh, good entrepreneurs are going to be having an MVP group or a mastermind group of people that you can feed off of. And so I've got some people that uh, I am in constant communication with to feed off ideas. So uh, always trying to look to, to push this service and what we offer to whatever the next level may be and never being complacent in where we are.
0: Yeah. No, I like that. I really like the fact that you honed in on kind of this circle of advisors and this support system and the collaboration and teaming. Entrepreneurship can be a very lonely road. And so yeah. I love I love the fact that you kind of have this mentality of collaboration already built in. Have there been moments where, you know, you felt the pressure, like you had to make the decision on your own? like, Or have you just always just defaulted as we're going to do this? as a team
1: know there there uh, I'd say a little bit little bit of both I mean obviously when, when COVID hit it was it was time to make some drastic decisions uh, not only in shutting down our practice but what do we do with our staff how do we maintain people uh, and then how do we bridge uh, whatever gap you know we're all going to be closed for only two weeks which turned out to be almost two months so mm-hmm. uh, there was quite a bit of pivot uh, and move and there's no playbook and you, and you just got to keep going with what you think in your heart is is the most important. And for us during that time, keeping our staff uh, with us was critical. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then as it evolved, I actually took a a liking to the PPP and and what all of that uh, had to offer. I literally read through the 800 page document. And as it turned out, I then ended up giving webinars to about four to 5,000 optometrists across the country to teach them how could
0: they actually keep their, Staff uh, employed, and how do you navigate this thing called PPP? Yeah, no, and and I in doing my research for this. Congratulations on being recognized as a National Optometrist of the Year uh, by the AOA. That was incredible. Um, you're better than me. I I wanted to be a lawyer, but I just hated reading. So you're you're better yeah. than me for reading 800 pages.
1: Man, it's interesting because I've got a a guy in my mastermind group. Um, who is the exact opposite of me. And, and and I like to say, you know, we are like Wozniak in jobs and, and and I'm the Wozniak just like analyzing everything. He's the jobs, he's out in front learning, learning some different things. And together it's just a, it's a an optometric marriage made in heaven that's helped the, the Richmond area, the Virginia uh, Optometry Association, and then the National Optometric Association that we have.
0: No, I love it. I love that too. One of the things that kept popping in my, my brain as I was thinking about the questions I wanted to ask you in this conversation um, does kind of center back on the business being such a long running business. And, you know, there's parts of it where you step in and you're like, okay, we know what works. Let's stick to what works. Um but then there's also the innate entrepreneurial spirit of innovation and trying to do something new and refresh. Um, So I'm, I'm curious on any insights or experiences you felt where you were like, okay, we've got a good thing going, but there's new spin, new innovation, new things that I can incorporate and how you've approached that. That's, that's, that's great. So we have, always
1: prided ourselves in our office on touch points. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you're coming in as a patient uh, or a guest in our office, there are so many touch points from the second you walk in with a warm greeting to every person that you're going to come in contact with. And so we really pride ourselves on the training and the uh, the dedication that we have towards those touch points. That's what really uh, makes people want to return. And then we have a tendency to invest a lot in technology over time. And we're always looking at what what is the newest thing. So in our industry, I'll take a, a couple of things. Um, you obviously grew up wearing glasses. And if you had a chance at eight years old to not have your prescription develop quite as rapidly as it did from the age of eight until let's just say, 19 then um what that would have offered you was actually a lifetime of healthier eyes and so people Mm -hmm. who have nearsightedness over their lifetime have a greater tendency to develop different eye diseases later in life Mm -hmm. so now there's innovations that help to slow that whole process down and not every optometrist is incorporating that into their practice we've been incorporating it into our practice uh, probably since about Mm 2017-18 and so um, and we get referrals from uh, from the greater richmond area all the way out to charlottesville into our office to help provide that type of service another type of service that recently has uh, really innovated is dry eye care and so we offer Mm -hmm. a variety of diagnostic and innovative treatment plans for our patients who are suffering from dry eyes and what most people are used to is you're just supposed to go to the drugstore and buy some over-the-counter artificial tears to treat dry eyes. And what we have uh, really honed in on is that type of treatment plan literally doesn't work. And so mm. we, we we don't offer that as uh, nearly, I'd say we offer it probably at a rate of about 3% compared to what we used to be at 100%. And so there's a lot of innovative new technology treatments that we've Honed in on to be able to offer our patients with much greater success. And so, touch points and technology, and when you bridge the two of those uh, in any business, uh, you really have the ability to stay at the forefront and continue to uh, bring
0: in new people along the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And off the beaten path, just thinking about my eye journey, if I want to call it that. um, It's so funny, I, I didn't. Realize I needed glasses. I had 20 20 vision growing up. And in college, I started realizing, man, I really hate driving at night. Like, driving at night sucks. Um, <laughs> things are just so blurry. And I remember after I graduated, got a job, and had insurance, I went in to the eye doctor. And they were like, oh, you're 0.5 off. It was just something super minor. And I remember being at the mall because it was a mall, the mall. Um, mm-hmm office i put the glasses on and i could see across the mall and i was like this is life in hd what is going on? <laughs> <this?" laughs> and
1: I, I tell you growing up needing glasses and, and when that prescription changes it's the classic case of you don't know what you don't know and it's yeah. not until you get that new update that you're just completely wowed by it and so that's the case with so many children They're not raising their hand saying mom i can't see the street signs because they're not driving so so many children are growing up nowadays not being able to see and they don't know what they don't know and so uh, being able to identify these kids at a lot younger age is is really critical you're actually in a fortunate state because i think illinois is one of the few states that actually has a requirement that before the before kindergarten you have to get an eye exam before you Hmm. uh, start school and I think like something like forty-eight states out of fifty don't have that kind of law. I don't know the exact number, but it's somewhere around those lines. So here you are, you're about to enter kindergarten. You got to get your teeth checked. You got to get a well check. But if you're semi-vision impaired, nobody really is set to identify that.
0: Yeah. No. That's that's fascinating. That is actually a very shocking stat that a majority of the states don't actually have that requirement. Huh.
1: Yeah. There's so much of Learning that comes from vision and uh, and and being able to set kids up right away from the start is, is just
0: critical. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to go back. You, you talked about touch points. And in our, our conversation, we talked about customer service. And just kind of going through your website, it's probably the most clean, straight to the point, and organized, and transparent kind of like... I would just even say doctor's office site I've ever seen. Like you have a page that just walks through the process, which is, I was like, hmm, I've never actually seen that. Um, and I think one of the things that I appreciated when we had our prep call is you talked about studying the risk to Carlton model. And so I would love for you to share a little bit about that, of how you took a business that was just completely in a very different field, studied an aspect of it and was able to apply it to, to your, your business.
1: Yeah, that, that Ritz-Carlton book was a, was a game changer for us. Uh, I think it's called The Ritz-Carlton Way or something like that. And we basically took every piece of it uh, from identifying and, and really it honed in on you, you got to be able to anticipate somebody's needs before they come up to say it. So our, our staff is constantly on the lookout for. It's just simple things, like somebody is looking down a hallway. Well, I'm assuming you're gonna be looking for the bathroom, so let me walk you over towards the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not just saying, okay, walk down the hall, make a left when you hit the sign, and, and then turn the corner. Um, so that Rich Carlton book, um, being able to identify what they call Mr. Biv or the big wow, all these different nomenclature mm-hmm. things. I mean, in our, in our staff meetings that we have, we still continue to go with the big wow. How did a staff member go above and beyond and help somebody help another staff member out so we celebrate those things in our uh, meetings all the time uh, one thing that didn't come out from it so from a from a big wow perspective it required my staff to write it up you write up we're going to celebrate you write it up and i'll give you a prize a person you're writing about is going to get a prize and uh, what we found was staff didn't always want to just take the time to write it so then we created mm-hmm. this thing called roses. And so at the end of every meeting, we finish up with roses. Who has a rose for somebody else? And it's just, I didn't write it up, but here's some recognition for somebody who helped me. And so we were constantly trying to celebrate our own staff members for helping other staff members. Yeah, And it really, it, it's all a part of the culture that we try to create here.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. We got to pause and think about that a little bit. Because I've thought about, I've always thought about customer service from a you know, business to customer. And as you were talking, a lot of the things that just came to my mind was one way that you can impact customer service is by managing the interactions between colleagues, right? Yeah. And spotlighting, oh man, I saw that Susan or Jim did something amazing for a customer. I want to give yes. them the kudos, but that creates an inherent cycle of wanting to improve the experience for the customer that's huh
1: it's things like somebody was struggling to get back out to their car because they're in a wheelchair so somebody rolled them out uh it is you know somebody was was having a coughing fit and so they brought them a glass of water Uh, it could be simple it could be complex it could be I, you know, so and so stayed late after after hours because we were going to close, but they couldn't they got stuck in traffic and couldn't pick up their glasses. So so Laura stayed until 630 so that the patient could get their glasses today, and didn't have to wait. Mm -hmm. Um, It really becomes a uh, a cultural piece. And so if you ask my staff, you know, we're always saying take care of the customer Mm -hmm. and take care of each other. And there's not a divide between those. Take yeah. care of the customer. Take care of each other, and we're all gonna uh, have a good day today. Yeah.
0: So how? Oh, I love this. I'm just kind of thinking about this. Like in terms of culture, how do new team members? I want to ask about hiring, but like first, how do new team members respond when they come into this environment? So I guess I'll kind of bridge
1: into the hiring process. You know, the, um, I'd say the majority of the people that we hire did not have a background in eye care. I do have some that did, but the majority of my staff have a background in hotel management, Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, some kind of customer service where we go in as customers and we're just completely floored by the customer service we're getting from this person. Right. And so we just say, hey, look, if you're ever looking for something, give us a shout. And so when we bring them in, uh, we will literally just have them shadow a person for uh, a few hours. And we don't call it a job interview, but it really is a job interview. But these, if you don't call it a job interview, they're not like looking for canned responses. So Mm -hmm. they're just hanging out with you. And so, um, we want to see are you holding up the wall are you engaging even in an environment where you know nothing about what's going on in front of you we want to we want to see are you smiling are you attentive you know what what is your what is your disposition and that really becomes our hiring practice i will teach you a skill set but i can't teach you to smile so that two hour interaction really lets us just see and identify does this person look like they could Uh, hold up in our environment no I like that um, and so so they love it when patients come in I mean when new when new staff come in um, they know number one we impress upon you we know you don't know any of this skill set we're gonna teach it to you Mm -hmm. and and we know you're gonna mess it up and I want you to be comfortable with the mess up because you're gonna mess it up we're gonna learn and we're gonna just do well together Um, but When they understand that they're allowed to mess up, make mistakes, like that's how we're all going to thrive. And we we embrace it from day one.
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome. I'm I'm curious, and I feel like I'd kick myself if I didn't ask. You obviously have a lot of business acumen. And you you obviously have a knack for not just people, but a knack for building cultures, um, especially within the work environment. I'm curious, where did that come from? Like, do they like do they have a course on that in med school? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, man.
1: Uh, in optometry school, there is uh, one business course uh, and you write a business plan, but you don't get, you know, like you get the black and white stuff. You don't get all the colorful stuff that happens, you know, between the pages. And so um, I was fortunate in college to be invited into my first mastermind group. And it really taught me what is a growth mindset? How do you adapt it? How do you not uh, be complacent? Because I got to tell you, I grew up in Detroit. So if you grew up in the Detroit area, you know, your family members are a part of the UAW, there is a uh, there there were I was not surrounded by entrepreneurs. So when I was surrounded by entrepreneurs in college for the very first time in undergrad, it completely opened up my mind that I was actually able to train my brain and my attitude to be a different level that I wasn't stuck in a circumstance that was in other people's control. And so um, uh, to Bill Lauheed and to um, Brian Olson and to the guys that brought me in uh, to their uh, mastermind group, it was like literally set a path for me uh, for for, they completely changed. I mean, I walked out of that. I used to have this phrase, you would ask me, how am I doing? You asked me how I was doing today. and And I would literally say better than fantastic and i would get people who just look at me like you are crazy you're insane i'm like that's look you're asking that's how i'm doing let's <laughs> let's roll and uh it's funny how uh how people can have like that growth mindset or that trajectory of, of my path has already been laid yeah uh and how people get stuck in it and i um have i've continued it cuz i continue to teach that to uh, sports teams today, and and how you can train your mindset into its own path.
0: Yeah, I, I also in your bio you talked about mindset of sports teams. Could you just share a little bit more about what you do? Because yeah. that also was very fascinating to me. And I think that so business and sports have are very very similar. I
1: I grew up in sports. I love sports. Uh, when I had kids, I started helping coach their teams uh, at a. At 11 years old, for my son, my my kids at the time were 11 and 12. At at that time, my son's playing on a um, travel baseball team, and you could just tell like these kids are the bad news bears. Like there is no way they're ever going to compete, and I had seen. A program that was being offered to high level college sports on sports training and mental conditioning related to it. And I'm like, well, this is fantastic stuff, but there's not an 11 year old on the planet who's going to absorb it. (laughs) So I literally took that package, reprogrammed it into what I thought an 11 year old could understand. And I started teaching it to my 11 year old's team. (laughs) And literally over the course of a winter and started incorporating it into practice this team went from not being able to compete to literally winning their first two out of three tournaments coming out of the spring and the tournament they didn't win they came in second place and the parents started coming up to me saying you know what we're we're not a better skilled team we are a better mental team and we've figured out how to deal with adversity Mm -hmm. and so i teach it from a sports perspective but it's really about life skills control what you can control self-talk breathe to calm yourself down, mental imagery, things like that. And then I realized that I started to teach it to my staff members here Mm. and they started to change their outlook. And so uh, being able to, you know, really hone in on the fact that you cannot control this insane patient who has unrealistic expectations or that some machine broke and you're not going to be able to to work this diagnostic test today and 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 really honing in on the fact that you control what you can control which was a really big one for us um, and it it changed my kids and their sports teams outlook it changed my staff members outlook and then it started to snowball into all right this high school team wants it or this high level travel team or this college team so i took it all the way to college and started teaching it and One of the college teams that I taught had not been to the college playoffs in 35 years, ended up winning, predicted to go fourth in their conference, ended up winning their conference, Mm -hmm. going on to the second round of the playoffs. Now, I will tell you, they had some incredibly skilled kids, so I cannot take all the credit. But what I can take credit for is this team got onto the same language of adversity, and I watched Mm -hmm. them. They got punched in the face in the first round of the playoffs, and they bounced right back. And literally we're saying, so what, next play, we're moving on. And uh, and, and so teaching that adversity, uh, whether you're in a marriage, on a sports team, in work, on your own, it's all the same. Yeah. And so it really became a, a great life skills thought process that got started
0: because my 11 year old baseball team was a little bit mental. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love There's so many things I love about that story. I I really, I've always had this um, perspective that we're all on the path to become the best version of ourselves, all on the path to just be better humans, right? Um, I started the mantra of control what you control maybe like probably five, six years ago when I realized... I'm very high strung and I'm very stressed out of things that I literally have no control over. So if I just gave zero energy into that, how would my day feel? And it made a lot of difference. (laughs) Yes. Um, And as I've been a full-time entrepreneur for, for, let's see, a little over a year and a half now, one of the things that I'm realizing, and I wonder if you agree, is that so much of the journey of becoming a better person and developing new life skills, very much aligns to becoming a better entrepreneur. And I don't know if I don't know if there's like a lot of careers <laughs> where that is so true because I feel like so much of being an entrepreneur is taking everything that you know about everything and applying it to whatever you're you're doing. Would you Would you agree? I actually would disagree and say that,
1: look, you, you could be a nurse, you could be the garbage man, you could be a waiter. You take all this in of everything that's around you. I'm your waiter. Yeah. Control what you can control. I can choose to have a great day. I can choose to be bitter about the fact that I was late today yeah. or that my boss is yelling at me. Anything that we're doing has that potential to be enhanced, be improved, growth if we have the right mindset. Yeah, And it, entrepreneurs get a lot of credit for it. No doubt about that because we're, we're, we're on our own on an Island with that, but it really applies to everything we're doing. It yeah. applies to your marriage. Yeah. It applies to your relationships. It applies yeah. to how you handle your kids. Um, and so it's a man. Anybody who, who gets a chance for growth mindset and to learn really how to hone in on it um, is a happier person yeah. than, than somebody who's not.
0: Yeah, I agree. So, so, so I'm curious. Just kind of talking more specifically about you as an entrepreneur, what have you found to be the most challenging aspect of it for yourself? Making mistakes
1: is a challenge, and uh, but still the, the the biggest growth opportunities. So, you know, over my 20 years of doing this. Um, made mistakes in equipment we bought or made mistakes in, um, analyzing what the next trend was going to be. Um, and, but we live and learn. And, uh, it, it, what I really learn is it can't make me afraid to pursue the next opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so you gotta be able to, as we say, in the mental world, you gotta be able to flush it, move on. So what next pitch, here we go. Mm -hmm. And, uh, You're going to make some some every entrepreneur is going to make some mistakes. But man, I mean, how many entrepreneurs fail in X number of businesses before the successful one works? We use them all as growth opportunities. And so what you call failure, I call opportunity. uh, Mistakes are going to be made along the way. It's kind of the way I I work with my staff. You're going to make mistake. Let's go. Let's embrace it. Let's let's work together and learn from it. And so uh, not being afraid to uh, let those setbacks Money loss, whatever it happens to be, uh, not, not be afraid to, to, to push that next idea forward.
0: Yeah. No, I, I um, mistakes are powerful. Like one of the things that um, I'm trying, you know, as I build out my team as an entrepreneur, I want to carry over from what I learned as a consultant. I used to tell my team, I want you to screw up. Your job actually is to screw up. As a leader, my job is to make sure that you can't screw up certain things because if you do, yeah. then it's catastrophic to the engagement. But my job is to put you in a position where you screw up because if you screw up, that means you tried, right? And when you try, you learn. And I think that there's just there's something empowering to trying something, it working out, and then trying something, screwing it up, but then figuring out why it didn't work out and then like developing, I feel like you empower team members and they actually feel a little bit more ownership around, um, what you're doing, what you're building, what you're delivering. And I think that that creates a better output for everybody.
1: Yeah. We, when I'm explaining it to people, I'll tell them, you can't be afraid to try, can't be afraid to take a leap. If you fail along the way, we're good. We'll pivot. Yeah. Um, not necessarily seeking that you fail, maybe, maybe you try and you were successful right off the bat because you took a leap of faith. So I look at it as uh, not, not, uh, not, not fail, don't you know, not make mistakes, but don't be afraid to take a chance, take a leap, go to places that people have not gone before, do it in a way that has never been done. And uh, and we'll look at it on the other side. My staff, they'll know they know that I'm notorious for saying, "Hey, let's do this for 30 days, and then we'll reevaluate." Because you know, you bring some new idea to them, they're like, oh, "I don't know if we're going to be able to do that one." Like, look, let's just try it for 30 days. Let's just see. We'll look on the other side. We'll reevaluate. We'll pivot. We'll move. We'll, we'll advance. Whatever whatever needs to happen. Uh, and you know, two weeks in, they're like, "Oh my god, I would never have done it any other way. This yeah. is awesome."
0: Yeah, I really, I really like that idea of putting time boxing it. There's something psychological that happens when you just say, I know you're not, I know you don't want to do this. Just try for 14 days. Just, just see if, just try for 14 days. And, you know, by day five, you're just like, yeah, why didn't we do this before? <laughs> <laughs> I got so many of those, so many of those. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's the, how much of your, how much of your job and just curious, would you say is, a, is predicated on influencing people?
1: Um, I think all day I influence people. I've got I see patients all day. And so here I am seeing you recognizing your condition, hopefully, and uh, letting you know here are the treatment options. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of a lot of the things that we do in, in treatment options is this is a good option. Here's a better one. Here's the best option. And so. Uh, do you want good, better or best? And uh, and so influencing uh, their attitude or mindset, you know, you come into a world of like mine. A lot of times you're coming in. It's like, I only want what my insurance does. If my insurance doesn't do it, I don't want to talk to you about it. I'm like, look, if I only did what your insurance company wanted, we would have only done half the stuff we did today. So let me take care of you so that you have vision so that you can go see your grandkids baseball game where you can go have some memories with your family. Let me take care of you the way I know how to take care of you. So it's a it's so from a patient point of view, constantly influencing from a from a staff point of view, I've always taken the attitude with my staff that I, I'm on equal footing with you. So my staff knows I'm continually walking up to them. Hey, how's your day going? Uh, hey, I know you were sick yesterday and that you probably weren't feeling super good today. I appreciate you coming in today. Um, sending them messages um thanks for staying late so uh i'm i'm constantly just trying to be uh i don't want to say buddy buddy with my staff but i but but showing i they they know that that empathy pours out of me for what they're doing um some of them will uh always recognize it some of them don't and i really have to go extra miles to try to get them to to see that um but I've never created a I'm here, you're here, and the, you're, you're you're reporting directly to me. I've just never taken that attitude. I, I treat them the way
0: I would treat family members. Yeah. No, I, I like that. I like the, you know, they're humans first kind of yeah. mindset and just kind of taking care of, making sure that they feel comfortable. Because it's also so cliche to say, oh, we're a family, you know, especially in like a work environment. But when someone treats you like their family, um, you can tell you can tell that they actually mean it. Take care of the patient. Take care of each other. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. So um, what's a challenge that your business is facing that you're trying to like tackle like you're wrestling with right now? Um, You know,
1: if you look at optometry in general, it is partially service-based and partially product-based. And so I'll take your glasses as an example. You can buy your glasses with me. You can buy your glasses online. I will tell you emphatically that there's a quality difference between the two of those. And so to try to convey to somebody what those differences are and why it's important um, to to know your options but to also know where where the best quality comes from uh, is important. Uh, Patients are now starting to go online for, uh, different levels of services. And so advocating that my in-person evaluation, uh, is the most important thing for you right now, uh, because of what I'm showing you during your exam. I wouldn't be able to see that if we weren't live and in person. Hmm. And so those are some big challenges across, across the, the country, uh, in terms of patients, um, looking to try to especially not go in for live eye care. Mm -hmm. So imagine you're doing your eye exam and it's not in person, it's online, and the technology may or may not exist to provide the same level of care that you would get with an in-person evaluation. And to the patient, they may not understand what those differences are. They may just think that they're getting what they're supposed to get. So as an example, I'll take kids. When a kid goes to their pediatrician, they get screened. Their vision gets screened. Mm -hmm. And I constantly have parents who come in and say, yes, the pediatrician did an exam. No, the pediatrician didn't do an exam. The pediatrician measured the vision on an eye chart. And that was one of about 30 different tests we would have done in a comprehensive eye exam. So getting patients to understand there is a comprehensive difference between the visual screening done with the pediatrician and what I'm gonna provide your children with in patient care, measuring color vision, depth perception, near vision, focusing ability, and all the other aspects, not to mention the health aspects. Right.
0: It's its interesting because a lot of it sounds like education. Um, yes. Yeah, a lot of it sounds like how do we... I can't even imagine doing my eye exams online, but that's because I've had eye exams, right? Yeah. So how do you... How do you educate an audience that hasn't experienced this thing yet, but they need to get a sense of what it should look like? That's a tough question. I think for your for your uh, for your fans and listeners, you know,
1: always take outside of eye care, always being on the lookout for what trend is coming, what may not affect me right now, but may affect me in two years or in four years or in six years and always being able to to innovate to uh, be able to battle against those outside intrusions that may affect your business. And look, we're, we're all not gonna sit in the same business model over time. And that's why what I'm providing today is not the way we delivered it 20 years ago, 10 years ago, or even five years ago. And so being having that growth mindset of continuing to evolve, anticipate what is coming. And, and that's where a lot of the mistakes get made. I anticipated that this change was happening We pivoted, we went in a direction, that change never happened. We ended up losing some resources because of it. So let's now pivot again and reanalyze. Don't be afraid to reanalyze what's happening. And so having that conscious, strategic plan of always trying to anticipate and look. But you have to consciously take the time to say stop. Stop what you're doing. Look at what's happening in the industry. Write it down. Have a plan move on yeah. and, and a lot of times people don't they don't stop. They don't they're not taking notes about what is coming. They're like, yeah, I knew that was coming. Yeah, I just didn't think it was going to happen so soon or I didn't anticipate that it was going to be as as impactful as it was if you it's it's like it's like setting goals. If, if you take the time to do it, it's going to happen. If you take the time to stop and really analyze what's going on in the industry, whatever industry you happen to be in, uh, you'll, you'll anticipate what some of the changes are a little bit more effectively than if you're just
0: uh, uh, going and, and grinding every single day. Yeah. One of the things that just came to mind, I, I interviewed a learning coach um, early on the podcast, um, and he had this framework. He was just like, plan, do, reflect. He's like, we do Absolutely. a lot of planning. We, we execute, we do a lot of doing, but we never actually sit back and reflect. He was like oh, the best athletes in the world. They reflect; they're experts at yes. reflecting. And one of the things that I'm curious about, because with the podcast, I like having not just kind of this is my experience, this is what I've done, but like tactical examples, tactical you know advice. We talked about making mistakes, and we talked about you know you, you know you thought about this pivot. You said let's prepare for it. Um, maybe it was a little resource intensive, and the pivot never came tactically, what's that conversation like with your partners, right? Because that could have an impact on business partnerships.
1: Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll take the day to day stuff. So what we ended up doing, uh, one of the things that happens in my office is if you are a staff member, you're with a patient patient has a um, difference of opinion about some service. I didn't say I wanted that service. You said I wanted that service and and, and the, the staff member saying you would have owed $30 for the service. Let's just use that as an example. Right. And the patient saying, I never said that I wanted that. In a lot of businesses, the staff member has to go ask a manager that if they can give a refund or the staff manager has to go ask the owner, can I give a refund? What we did was we created a discount category. It's a, basically a patient refund category and it's called We Care. Mm-hmm. And so my staff can give the We Care discount at any given time for any given service. To immediately be able to solve some small issue that the patient was having. And so uh, it gives the staff autonomy. It gives the patients comfort. I mean, there's nothing worse than my manager's out until Tuesday. I have to wait and ask them this question. And, you know, the patient's like, seriously, it's like, that's like seven days away. Right. So, uh, creating that type of um, autonomy and change on the fly for for our staff has 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 been important and so then we will use that information to analyze and reflect what were the instances that we had to use this discount mm. and then how can we change what we do based on that and then a lot of times for the most part it's some sort of
0: communication
1: enhancement that
0: we have to do yeah no I like that I, I, I... I like the idea of creating a system for a system that empowers folks, but it is tied to your values, it's tied to your principles, and it immediately solves, you know, the consulting, the 85% of the problems. (laughs) 15% will still need to be escalated, and they probably appropriately need to be escalated. So
1: I'll I'll make this this scenario up, but imagine you were uh, owning a business. You're about to ship a thousand dollars worth of stuff. And all of a sudden the argument over the four dollar shipping charge comes in and the patient didn't want to pay the four dollar shipping. And so now they're going to dump the thousand dollar order because you guys couldn't agree on the four dollar shipping charge. And So in that particular instance, my staff would have said, all right, look, we're going to we care that 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 shipping of four dollars off. And we're going to send it to you. Normally, what I want you to be aware of is we normally have a shipping charge, and the shipping charge is four dollars. And so next time, we're going to um, uh, we're going to charge you for it. But today, I want you to have this product. We're going to send it out in the mail today, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. Yeah. So I'm making that up, but that's that's the idea behind how it would go. And it doesn't matter what your business
0: is. Yeah. No. I like it. Um, All right, so I want to be cognizant of the time. So so I'm going to hit you with a couple of our concluding questions because this has been insightful and I will reflect on this conversation um, because I think it it has a lot of good nuggets in it. Um, What's something that you might have that you wish you knew before you took on this role and got started? So um, I reflect
1: back on. A time that I was actually in college and I was in a leadership role of a certain type in college. And once I was out of that leadership role, the next person was coming in. I took an attitude of, oh, no, dude, you, you're going to have to learn it all on your own, just like I did. And I didn't give this guy the time of day to teach him any of the stuff I had just learned over the previous 12 to 24 months. Um, I still remember it to this day and how, that had to be the stupidest thing I could have ever done. Mm-hmm. And so it makes me uh, now attack coaching in a different way. And so I literally reach out to young optometrists. I'm working with a young optometrist right now coaching him in uh, in, in the business aspects of optometry. Because, again, we, we have one business class. So right. you really learn at the School of Fort Knox of how to uh, how to run businesses. Um, and so I'm helping the young generation advance their skill sets at a faster rate than what I was given. Um, and it goes back to that time where I remember just dissing this guy and going, "Hey, man, you're gonna have to learn it on your own because I did." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I've told him, and I told that guy ever since, uh, you know, uh, uh, like 10 years ago. I'm like, man, this is what happened. I don't know if you remember it, but uh, but I feel sorry
0: about it. But it changed me. I learned from it. Yeah. I love the self accountability, uh, self awareness, and accountability. That's yeah. awesome. Um, all right, my next question: What books, book or books, would you recommend to other entrepreneurs? Um,
1: dude, there's so many. Um, I'll give you the last couple of, of books that I've read. Let's let's go there. Um, last one of the last books I read was called Futawa. And Futawa is a uh, Muslim book on chivalry hmm. uh, written out of a guy out of the Detroit area. Uh, book came to me because the, the guy I was just talking about, the, the, the optometrist that I'm coaching right now is Muslim. Uh, and, uh, and, and I wanted a deeper understanding for, for him and what he's going through with his family. So he made the recommend, recommendation to me. Uh, on this book and uh, it was it was great and so I say that so that you can you know if you're mentoring coaching doing something uh, getting into the mindset as much as you can um, is is important um, some other books uh, dare to lead uh, was a recent mm-hmm. book uh, obstacle is the way Ryan holiday um, but a book I just started I, I can't actually tell you about it but um, it's called the hundred million dollar exit written by a guy out of the Richmond area. Um, and uh, as I look at my practice and no time soon, but eventually want to sell it, this is a uh, how to scale and then sell type thought process fight uh, prospect type book. Mm-hmm. So the hundred million dollar exit uh, written by Jonathan Brabant Brabrand,
0: he's, he's out of the Richmond area awesome i love it well um we'll make sure so we have on our website we have a library for books that all the entrepreneurs yep. on the podcast have, have mentioned so we'll make sure that we include it um for people to check it out um sounds good okay so my last question um i technically see my second the last question um what question do you think i should ask the next guest Uh, so tell
1: me about an experience where you fell on your face and what you learned from it. Okay. So Jeff, tell me about experience, (laughs) not literally, (laughs) but, um, you know, it's, I, I, I can tell you that when I went to go get my driver's license at 16 and did the signs, I can still tell you to this day, what sign I missed. I couldn't tell you all the signs I actually got, but I can tell you the sign I missed. So, mm-hmm. so we learn so much from mistakes and errors that we make, and so that's at the heart of that question. Yeah. Um, is you know, there's you know, I shared the, the story of the, the the guy I dissed 20 years ago. You know, that still sticks with me, and and it changed my attitude about how I um, now try to mentor young people. Um, all because of, I didn't give this guy the time of day and thought he should learn off hard knocks just the way I did. Um, when, when in reality growth mindset today, my growth mindset today is much better than it was back then, obviously. And so, um, that was at the heart of that. Yeah.
0: I like it, man. Um, okay. My last question, Jeff, tell folks how they can reach out to you, connect with you. Um, and visit you at uh family vision, vision yeah care. i am uh
1: at family vision care of richmond so fvcor.com. Uh so if you're in the greater richmond area and, and need eye exams i am on linkedin i am not a uh hyper person on social media uh, but i am on linkedin and uh and then uh, if anybody ever wanted to reach out to me uh for sports mental conditioning uh, I work with teams. I don't do one on one training, but I work with teams to put all the, the players and coaches on the same p- language page so that they can uh, develop in advance. And so they actually could call my family vision Care of Richmond and say, hey,
0: heard you on the podcast. I want to learn more about that. Awesome. Jeff, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: I will tell your brother, you said hello. I'll see him next weekend in school. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I appreciate it. All
0: right. Talk to you. Thanks for tuning in. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a friend and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit BeHelpfulPodcast.com for more content, tools, and resources that will help you along your entrepreneurial journey. Thanks for listening and see you next time.